welcome to I Am Danny B podcast in February of 2022. So I am sorry about the long silence, but welcome to I Am Danny B podcast where we talk movies, a little bit of TV and perhaps some other random shit in between. I am your host Danny B or Danielle and as usual we are joined by the wonderful Kevin Holmes. This week we are going to talk Nightmare Alley, so Guillermo del Toro's new movie, um, film noir. It's a remake of a film from the 40s, I'm sure. And we thought we'd pit it against Night of the Hunter because it's one of the classic film noirs and I think it covers a lot of the kind of usual, or it's not, it doesn't cover all the usual tropes, but I thought it would be quite an interesting comparison because of the stories. So I think we'll start with Nightmare Alley as the way, new against old. So, do we have a synopsis, Kev? Uh, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I didn't write one down, so this is going to be off the cuff from a movie I saw two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine, I'll help. <laughs> Alright, so, it is set in sort of the end of the Depression, just before World War Two, and it feels like it's the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my impression. Um, and it kind of follows Bradley Cooper, whose character's name is... Something. Uh, <laughs> Stan something. <laughs> yeah, who is essentially just like a... A hobo who manages to get himself into a circus, and in the circus, he learns some tricks and uh, he meets a girl and then <laughs> finds out he's really good at cold reading and being a grifter when it comes to pretending to be a psychic. And then there's a yada 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 a year, like six months later, and suddenly they're like the hottest thing in this city that they're in. Which is it Chicago? I think it's Chicago, yeah. yeah. And then there's suddenly the hottest thing in Chicago. Um, doing really well and then this really violent rich man hires him to uh sort of absolve his sins yeah yeah his like guilt over some a woman he might have killed or didn't i think he killed her he killed i think her. it's safe to assume he killed her <laughs> yeah a woman he, he killed a woman that he loved and then bradley cooper sees a way to make a lot of money out of this and then it all goes wrong and then he ends up being a geek yeah, which was a horrible revelation <laughs> to find out that that's where that came from. Um, so yeah, Stanley Carlisle or Carlist, eh? Carlist, Carlisle. Oh god, I hate saying names. Stanley, he's a creep. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, what was so you kind of went into the movie? I kind of was like, I'd really like to see this movie, and you're like, I know nothing about this movie. Let's go see this movie. So what was your thoughts? <laughs> oh yeah, so I went in entirely blind. Um. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed many things about this movie. But while watching it without knowing what was supposed to be happening, it did feel aimless. Like, it just kind of felt like things kept happening and I didn't know why they were happening. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and again, I, lo- like, I really liked a lot about this movie. I-, I watched the first hour of it again and did enjoy it a lot more with like an idea of what, like, what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um but for me, like it has very distinct phases of the film, mm-hmm. and every time it transitioned, it always felt like it stumbled a bit. It always felt like it was like, okay, we're in this phase of the film; it's gathering steam. It's gathering, okay, <laughs> now we're doing something else. And like, so like the first fifteen minutes where Bradley Cooper doesn't talk, I was like, oh, okay, so this character is a mute, and then he starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and then we're like in the circus and that's all fun and then we're in Chicago. <laughs> 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 and now we're just being some fun grifters uh, 
doing hooky shows for rich people and now we're like a therapist (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was i think something that i really took from the movie was that um it was far too long it was like at least 30 minutes like longer than it needed to be but at the same time the story moved too quickly because they would like they said the first maybe 40 minutes of it is them in the circus and that whole bit was quite interesting but it felt like they took too long to establish all the characters and then when they finally established all the characters they then moved to something else and it was like wait a minute where's half the cast gone and then they obviously introduced like new characters that we got like a feel for and then again it was like by the time we'd kind of got used to these characters it was then the end of the movie and everybody else had disappeared again. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just like, I felt like it was far too long, but still managed to not give me a complete story. <laughs> yeah, there was, like, when, um, before knowing or finding out that it was, before finding out that this was based on a book, like, I, I genuinely just thought that Guillermo del Toro was like, oh, uh, yeah, like, Carnival, that was a fun TV show. Let's make a film that's kind of like Carnival. Oh, like I'm kind of into mysticism at the moment. And also noir. <laughs> How do I make these three things a movie? <laughs> I do think as well, though, like that was something that I did take away from it. It's a very Del Toro movie. Like the feel mm. of it, the look of it. Because I, like, I sat all the way through the movie and was like, hmm, this is lovely. Like it looks lovely. But I just didn't quite understand the significance of a lot of it. Like... And you know, it it wouldn't have been a del it was would not have been a Del Toro movie without Ron Perlman, and Ron Perlman was there, so it was fine. <laughs> I feel like Ron Perlman just keeps getting weirder and weirder looking the older he gets. Well, you know, the, I was actually reading not that long ago. Like, I didn't know he was as old as this, but something he says he keeps getting asked if he would make a Hellboy three, and he's like, "I'm seventy one, no, <laughs> no, like fair enough." But I didn't know he was as old as that. But I don't know. I like him. I, I think he's kind of an underrated actor. And I think because he is really good friends with Guillermo del Toro, it's like, oh, del Toro's called. I need to make myself ready. Get myself into this movie. I was actually quite surprised that Doug Jones didn't make a, an appearance that somewhere as well. Like as like a sideshow freak or something? Yeah. I'm actually quite surprised he didn't play the geek, to be fair. Mm. Because he does, he's not necessarily characters just like that, but he has played kind of characters like that as well. So yeah, then, then Doug Jones must be getting on a bit as well, no? He's in his 50s, I think. Mm. I think he's in his 50s, 60s maybe? No, not as old as 50. Uh, anyway, yes. he's mm. not. I know he's not as old as Ron Perlman, but I know that, that like they've been all kind of working together for a hell of a long time. Mm. But yeah. but I, And I mean, just to kind of go back to Nightmare Alley, I'll... I like the cast. I really like everybody that was in the movie. But again, it was that kind of thing of... I didn't think anybody really got a chance to do much in their parts. Mm. Like, apart from Bradley Cooper. like Because obviously he's the main character and we kind of follow him. But, like, the woman that he falls for... Um, I can't remember her name, but... Um, uh, Ma- is it Rooney Mara? It yeah. was Rooney Mara, but I can't remember... Oh, her actually. I can't remember her name. But, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, her, she... Like, I just felt she was kind of there to be, like, the like the wee will-o'-the-wisp woman. Like, she was just there to be, like, his frail flower. Like, her, her name was Molly, by the way. I've just checked it. So I didn't think she really got a chance to do much with her part. Um, and then they had, like... They hinted at really cool stuff with, like, Kate Blanchett's character, who, like, the psychiatrist, Lim Lilith. But 
she didn't really get to do much either. And it was just a bit... And I felt like she was the quintessential film noir. She was like... Eh, not film noir, shut up. Femme fatale. But she just didn't get a chance to do much with it. So, yeah. I just felt like a lot of the characters were kind of there to look pretty and not really do much. Well, it's a thing I tend to add generally like in films, but it didn't really fully work for me in this, which is like not spoon-feeding everything. I, like, I usually like that. But this, it was like... I, Okay, you're not spoon feeding me, but like I'm not getting, not getting anything. <laughs> you need to give me something. Yeah. But also, I think that's sort of like indicative, indicative of like a forties film. Whenever I watch forties films, like quite often I'm like, I don't know who anybody is or why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember getting, we was in America staying at Charlotte's aunt and, aunt and uncle's, and we watched The Big Sleep, mm-hmm. and we got to the end of it, and I'm like, I enjoyed that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of got a similar feeling with this. <laughs> well, this one it wasn't quite as bad. Like I knew what had happened. Quite often, I didn't know why. It happened. Yeah, that's probably the best way to like describe it. I think because the thing that made me laugh about it as well was that apparently this was closer to the book, but they did make a movie of this, like like I say, back in the forties or the fifties, and I think. I'd, I'd remember, I've never seen the original like Nightmare Alley, but I did remember reading like a review about it when the new one was coming out and they were saying like looking back at the original and saying that it didn't really handle the material as well as like as the right, the author had wanted them to handle it. But kind of looking at Nightmare Alley, like the new, this new movie, I'm kind of like, then what the fuck was the book? I'm just like, I like, I mean, again, I knew what was going on. I understood the motivation of the characters to an extent <laughs> but like but like there was just I felt like there was massive gaping holes like the whole thing about Lilith like she, at the same time she like of her being a femme fatale she was also still quite a two dimensional character because they played you knew from the start you knew from the very beginning when they first met her and it kind of looked like Bradley Cooper had outwitted her when they were at the like the theater, well, at the hotel, sorry. And then when he went to go and visit her in his office, at her office, you kind of knew from the beginning that she was going to screw him over. And you knew that, like, the whole thing about him figuring out that she had mummy issues and all that jazz, I knew that was bullshit. I knew that it was going to turn into, like, she was the bad guy, like, she was the, the one that was screwing him over. So it was kind of classic femme fatale, but also not very well played out. <laughs> Yeah. There's the whole thing where she like reveals the scar and like there's a implication that the the really rich guy that he's scamming had something to do with that, but like no real like why why did that happen? How did it happen? <laughs> like, yeah, um, it, it was yeah. I think because I think they were trying to make it sound like she was damaged goods and that's why she was the way she was, but it was kind of like well no, <laughs> she didn't play it very well either. <laughs> like um. Because you, you'd have thought that if they were going to try and go for it from that angle, it would be a case that she was getting back at him because of what he'd done to her, but also getting back at Bradley Cooper because, like, he was essentially using her as well. But she just didn't seem to really have any motivation. She was just kind of there to be like, Mwah! at the end. And I was like, oh. She was there to be kind of spooky and mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and look sexy while she did it. I really didn't understand. I was like, okay. Yeah, I guess it's like something that could have been improved from the script phase. And then I don't even know what you could cut, though. 
Like it is too long. One hundred percent, it's too long. But I don't know what you could cut. Yeah, because a lot of the really cool scenes in it are probably scenes that you don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. But like, because the whole bit. So William Defoe's character, I really liked him, even though he was like, Ugh. like I really, I don't know, I just really liked his character. But you, you liked him because he was like. I don't know, you didn't like him because he was a horrible character, but he was just interesting to watch. He was one of the better characters in the film. And you needed all his scenes where he talked about in great detail about, like, this is the alcohol and this is how we run this and this is how you turn someone into a geek and, and that kind of stuff. And, like, so you needed all that. But at the same time, like most of his scenes were so long like it was just like he would it was just listening to William Defoe talk for about five ten minutes and I'm wondering if that was just Gilmuro going I'm enjoying this just keep going it's fine because <laughs> it was fun to listen to but it was just his character probably didn't need to be as much in the film as he was um so I don't know if you could say you could cut them out but I don't know. There was, but, but then it was all really good. We yeah, wanted so yeah. You, don't, you don't want to cut it out because it was one of the best bits. Yeah. One of the really confusing things about his character for me was the... So he had all these pickled things, but then there was like his like prized one of like the baby with a weird thing in its forehead. But nothing... Like they spent so... There were so many just like lingering shots on it and stuff, but nothing ever came of it other than at the end to kind of imply that something went wrong with Willem Dafoe's carnival where he's had to sell all these stuff to... Mm. The guy from Obelli were out there. Yeah. Um, like, I thought something was going to come back with that baby. I feel like there's something missing there that I didn't well, put together. Like, part of me wondered if the baby had something to do with the woman dying, with the guy with all the money. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for me, I think what it kind of meant to me, and I might be completely wrong, was that because it was one of the things, the first things that he kind of spoke about, and it was before he had kind of said, oh, this is how you turn someone into a geek. Like, the, I kind of got the feeling that it was like, it was all like a haunting type situation. So, like, he'd seen the baby and he had, I'm sure he made a comment about it, like, when they first see the baby and it was like, and he, like, oh, God, God save us or something. I can't remember. Like, he said something along those lines. Um, and then at the end of the movie, because obviously that carnival had went under and now this guy has bought all his stuff, I feel like it was a comeuppance and he knew it was going to be a comeuppance before he'd even taken that first shot of the whiskey and they were like, oh, it's only a part-time job. Like, it'll only be until we can find a geek. And, and it was just kind of like... Ah, <laughs> like it had come full circle. So I think I don't know if it was just just for that, like literally just to be like that. But I do feel like they put more emphasis on it than they needed to. Like the whole scene at the very beginning of the end of the credits, where they played that really really old song, and it was like you could see the camera moving over this like weird shape. I knew it was going to be the baby, but I couldn't figure out. Yeah, like they didn't need to put it in the movie as much as they did, <laughs> and I think it was just Gilmuro just being like, "This looks weird and creepy. I would like this in my movie." <laughs> yeah, like I, mean, I don't, I can't, I don't know if it was maybe supposed to be like a curse thing or like, I don't know, but like it was like a movie like full of Chekhov, Chekhov's guns, Chekhov guns, Chekhov's guns. <laughs> How do you pluralize that? <laughs> say Chekhov's guns yeah. but yeah. Chekhov's guns um, there's a movie for, yeah, I'm very tired 
<laughs> it's a movie full of those, and that felt like a Chekhov's gun with no payoff. Was bit, yeah, was what felt odd about that to me. So for me, I feel like that's all the things I didn't like about this movie that I do like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have more things you didn't like. But... Um, I didn't like Bradley Cooper <laughs> as a general rule in this movie. I don't mind Bradley Cooper, but. Oh, he's pretty good in this. I'm not. I'm not. Never usually a big Bradley Cooper person. I've always good in this. Neither am I. Like, but I think, I, th- I think that was the good thing about that because he was quite detestable from the very beginning, mm. and he played it quite well. But I just, yeah, I really didn't like his character in this movie. And I know you're not really supposed to, but I think he played it really well, and because you didn't like him, and <clears throat> I think I, d- I didn't, but I didn't quite get. <sighs> Well, it's not that I didn't get it, but, like, the whole thing about when we first meet him in the movie, and not even, like, the whole kind of weird 20-minute silence at the beginning, but, like, when he's first kind of introduced to all the characters of the carnival, he does come across as, like, he's maybe troubled, but he's not that bad a guy. And then, obviously, the the older um, kind of psychic guy that was that kind of taught him a couple of tricks and things... And then, like, I was never really 100% sure if he was supposed to have actually killed that guy. I, I think must, he did. I, I think, him. well, I think he, I think he did, yeah. But, but he, it just, I felt like it was a bit of a weird leap. But then it's obviously because his character is really just like a no good person. But I just don't, I don't know. It felt very weird to me the way they played it in the movie. Uh, I quite enjoyed the way they played it, where it was like, <clears throat> he's like almost likable all the way through it. So you can kind of buy why people would, would like him. But like, and maybe it also comes from watching it again. Uh, I think there is. I think this is a rewatchable film. I think okay. you will pick up new things every time you watch it because, mm-hmm. like, the first time you see him with his dying dad and stuff, mm-hmm. like, it's like really confusing because he's just burning this body in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and then, like, you keep getting flashbacks where it seems like, oh, it's just like. He was just dying, and again, that's a way to take care of it if you're in the depression and you can't afford a funeral. And that, but then the more you see of it, the more you're like, oh, no, that he was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but as you're seeing, oh, he was bad then, as, as he's becoming worse in the movie. Yeah, that's true. So his like, off-putting vibe kind of works. That, yeah. like He's kind of likable in some ways, but he's really off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it did work. I do think he did a good job. I don't know if he did a good job on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just like he stumbled upon it. But yeah. Um, yeah. Like, okay, I'll give you that because I did think there was something all the way through it that I was like, he's clearly supposed to be played as a likable character, but he's clearly not. Um, And I think they were trying to pit him against... I mean, when when they first does the whole scene with Kate Blanchett, like the first one, where it's clearly that they're trying to pit them against each other. or And obviously... Like, that kind of works. But you're supposed to obviously sympathise with him because he's the character we've been following from the beginning and she's just come in and been, like, a total twat and, like, trying to upstage him and all this jazz. But then, obviously, as it gets into it, the two of them have, like, this weird relationship. But the whole thing about, like, him... Like, that was another thing. Like, the whole thing about him conning her and, like, and them kissing and, like apparently having an affair behind molly's back but he clearly still loved molly or thought he loved molly i don't think he actually loved molly but like that whole kind of thing like that just wasn't believable for me because but it wasn't believable for me because i kind of knew from the beginning of the movie it was one of these movies where i was like 100 percent like 
you're going to end up being a cunt. And I know you are, but I can't just figure out at this moment in time, exact moment when you're going to turn around and be an absolute twat. So it didn't really work for me. But like, I thought their scene together with where she was like acting as a psychiatrist and making him like lie down and all, and like, and eventually she kind of wore him down into lying down and all that kind of stuff. I thought that scene was really well played and I thought it was really cool, but I didn't, I didn't believe their relationship as I was watching the movie because I knew that they were both playing each other, which we're supposed to know, but I also kind of knew that in the end she was probably going to come out on top because she was going to screw him over. I just, I just knew, like, so, I don't know. I just, I felt like a lot of their scenes weren't forced, but I just didn't believe them. Mm. I mean, again, but does that work? Because neither of them were being sincere. Like, yes. they're both, they are both trying to play each other, so they are believable. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, all right, things I did like. <laughs> I mean, it's a Guillermo del Toro film, so it looked amazing. Like you kind of go into this knowing that even if I don't like what's going to happen, it's going to be very pretty. Yep. It's, you know, I'm going to be looking at a very nice painting for, <laughs> well, it's like two hours 20. <laughs> yeah, two and a half hours, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it did look amazing. Um, I mean, all the set design, even like, I mean, the costuming was really good yeah. as well. Um, it was very slick. Yeah, like, uh, I've forgotten the name now, the femme fatale. Uh, Kate Blanchett. Yeah, Kate Blanchett's <laughs> dress when she first shows up was like super cool. Well, like the capelet. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking, which one was that? <laughs> yeah. Um, like her office set design as well was amazing. That oh was, yeah. Like, the most like the most Art Deco thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Art Deco enough. Throw more shapes in there. <laughs> <laughs> more lines. <laughs> um, I really liked the tone of the carnival as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, like specifically as a depression era carnival. Yeah. Like it just felt cold and sad. And it was like a carnival, but none of the carnival atmosphere. <laughs> like everybody going to, there was no excitement of anybody going to this carnival. No, no. Like when they were showing you all the people there and like they were looking at the things, they were all very like, yeah and like, yeah it's like oh i'm gonna go do this and then i'm gonna go home and have my rock soup because it's 1938 <laughs> um watching it second well i watched the first half of it a second time um and like there's a shot of like the ferris wheel and there's like one woman on the ferris wheel on her own there's just something like why am i on this ferris wheel on my own I don't know if that was a performance by this background artist or it was just I've been on this Ferris wheel for six hours. That's probably the reality. I know. Like, cut, let's do that scene again. And she's like, no. It's fucking cold up here. But they did a really good job with like the muted tones and everything. um, Yeah. Because even when, like, I think, I think with them. Kate Blanchett's character as well. I think we only start to see kind of more like elegance and like, like more color, I guess, when it's like they've made it big, mm-hmm. um, and they're working in the hotel and things like that. And I think her because it was the dress that she wore the very first one was it not white? Uh, it was maybe silver. Yeah. So it's like, but it's it's very contrast compared to what we've seen. Mm. Everything um, else has been like browns and yeah, like yeah. blacks and browns mm. and kind of like murky colors and things. So it's very contrast 
to what like from what we've seen and obviously because she's like a striking blonde and she's like got those ridiculous cheekbones and i'm sure she was wearing like bright red lipstick and stuff so she's like really striking yeah and that like whole scene there's a lot of like deep blues and stuff in it yeah well. and i think like with when you put that when you put that with her office and then obviously like her character as the movie goes on like I like the contrast with her to everybody else because even with like Molly when they were doing like all the scenes with her wearing that red coat like I know that they always kind of say in in movies that red means danger it means blood and things like that and because she was so like mild-mannered and she was so like kind of like mousy I guess like she was wearing this color and like like it was like she was always in danger and she kind of knew she was always in danger and i get that but even then she didn't stand out as much as everything that was to do with kate blanchett and so i did like how they'd done that um because bradley cooper as well like his whole suits and things i guess it's hard unless they're going to put him in like lady colors it's going to be hard to make him stand out a bit more. But he did kind of still blend into the background, even when he was, like, doing all the things with, like, the rich people and and all this jazz, like... So I think it was definitely... I think he definitely lavished, like, the set designer or Gilmiro, however you want to put it. I think they definitely lavished more on the women in the movie. Because even Toni Collette, like, when you're doing the whole thing at the carnival, she looked a lot more like elegant and she looked a lot more interesting than all the male characters mm. i also think like it did a really good job of feeling like a 40s film without going too far like yeah. it still like looks modern and it's still modern acting and stuff but it has like the kind of the, the feeling of a 40s kind of noirish dark film yeah it was it was definitely a good movie it was just a bit too long i think and i think as well with um you know, some I have tried to get out of the habit of reading a book before I see the movie and things like that because I, I'm always disappointed. But I have a couple of times watched movies more recently and been like, and that was quite interesting. I would actually read the book, but that did not make me want to go out and buy the book. And it's not, yeah. and it's not made me want to like watch the re- like the original. Oh, like, I did want to watch the original just to see, just to see the difference. Yeah. I think, I mean, I do think all the performances are really good. There's, yeah. Yeah. The, like, the only person that sort of took me out of it was Mary Steenbergen. And I don't know why. I don't think she did a bad job. Um, She was the the guy from the first, like, spook show scene's wife who does the oh, murder-suicide. Yeah. Um, I really reckon... What's she been in? She's, like, oh, I recognise her. Um, she was in Elf <laughs> um, and many things. It's fine. I'll check it in my own time, but yeah. <clears throat> I did see her and go, oh, I know you. I've seen you in loads of things, I feel. I know. She just, like, has always been around. Um, I mean, she's also Ted Danson's partner, I think. Ah, right. Okay. Oh, I know what I've seen her from. She was in the third Back to the Future. She played Doc Brown's love interest. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what that I'm thinking her. of. Yeah, I don't know why she took me out of it. The, the only one and I don't think she did a bad job yeah I was just like I was like oh that's Mary Steenbergen and every time she showed up I was like that's Mary Steenbergen <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> and Kat was like yep that's her that's, she's not the part that's, she's not the actor <laughs> why is Mary Steenbergen shooting that man and herself <laughs> <laughs> I think like I, I don't know I th- you know actually the one that it, they didn't take me out of it but I think because it was such a jarring difference to who he played in um, 
the shape of water. But the guy who was like the the arsehole rich man, the one that probably left a a wake of like bloodied women behind him, was the nice guy from Shape of Water. He played the gay guy that was like um oh, Sa- that was him? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he played Sally Hawkins' pal in like in the Shape of Water. So to watch him be like such an asshole in the movie, I was like didn't like it it wasn't until um so charlotte watched the first hour with me again and then when rini mara shows up she's like oh guillermo del toro Toro has a type (laughs) she looks a lot like uh from the shape of water like the same like hair like the way they styled her yeah like like... um, and i know that um when shape of water won a bafta like when the year it came out and I just happened to be watching the BAFTAs and he went up to get his like award and he was like, ah, oh, yes, thank you very much. But the person that deserves this award is Sally Hawkins. She is amazing. And Sally Hawkins was just sitting in the audience like, <laughs> like so, um, yeah, so I think he does like, I don't know if he has it. I don't know if he's quite a Tim Burton with like <laughs> his odd taste in women yeah i can't think of any other it just seems to be back to back yeah (laughs) yeah and i mean like to kind of divulge like slow quickly onto tim burton how does he get these women like i mean like eva green is like stunning and then like he was with helena bonham carter for years who's also stunning and i'm just like what the fuck like it's just i don't understand um but yeah so but yeah overall i enjoyed it i think i would watch it again but it was just too long. Yeah, it was incredibly <laughs> it, long. It was just really long. And I think if I could, if I could have cut any, it, kind of like what we were saying earlier, I think if I could cut anything out of it, I don't know what I'd cut out of it, but I just know instinctively that it was just too long. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And like, well, like I keep saying I only watched the first hour again. The only reason I only watched the first hour again is because I was just exhausted. <laughs> like I do want to finish I'm, it. I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> yeah. Um I do want to finish it again and I was enjoying it more the second time. I don't know what that says about the film, but I do think there's something to be had from watching it again. I think he ha- he's got quite a good habit of doing that though because like the first time I watched I think the only time I've ever sat down and watched one of his movies and liked it the first time round was um Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth. Everything else I've ever seen by him, I've watched it once and been like, ah, that was alright. And then I'll watch it again and I appreciate it more because I, I I ended up not watching it again, but like, well, not all of it again. But I was really disappointed with Crimson Peak because that just looked really good and it was like, had an amazing cast and it just looked like a perfect gothic horror. And then I watched it and was like, what is this nonsense? Like, I didn't, I didn't actually really like Crimson Peak, but then I, it was on the telly and I think I caught it like 10 minutes into it and I watched a good, like, I don't know, hour of it again. And I was like, oh yeah, this is quite a good movie. Like, I, so I've, he has got this weird thing of like, his movies always look amazing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to enjoy it, but then I'll watch it again and be like, oh no, I, I see things more now and I appreciate it more. So. Yeah, I feel like I did that with Hellboy too. I definitely done that with Hellboy 2 because I remember going to see Hellboy 2 in the cinema um, because no one would go and see the first one with me in the cinema so I missed it and then when the second one came out I literally dragged someone to go and see it with me and I walked out of it and was like ah damn it (laughs) Um, but I still enjoyed it but it, it was one of those things that when I watched it again I found it funnier and I appreciated it more 
but yeah. um oh one like last thing i have to say about this is that the first like 15 20 minutes where he's a mute feels like a computer game in the way it's like <laughs> like the transition from the so the opening bit of him on the prairies burning his dad is well, i assume that was his dad that was I his dad was, yeah. yeah uh feels like the opening cutscene, and then there's the track the bus transition feels very computer game ish and then it was like follow the little man <laughs> and then it was like okay now you have to do this task okay now you have to do this task now you have to do this task <laughs> you know hunt down the geek you know? <laughs> and then you get to speak <laughs> yeah um, so that felt very strange i felt like a computer game film at that point yeah but anyway i think that's all i have to say on this movie <laughs> yeah i think just to kind of like put on put forward a bit more about the the whole thing with the the mute i didn't really get why they'd done that like i it didn't you know, it it didn't do anything for the movie and I didn't, I don't know, I just didn't quite understand it. Like, obviously, I had seen the trailer and stuff for the movie, so I knew that he wasn't mute and it was really weird because it took me a good five minutes into the movie to go, oh, he's not spoken yet. And then when we were introduced to the Carney people and it was like he was talking to William Defoe and all this, and he hadn't said anything, I was like, did I mishear the trailers? Like, is he supposed to not talk? And and then obviously he did. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did, what the fuck? <laughs> like I, I really didn't understand that. But yeah. I don't know. I think overall, what did I give this? <laughs> I'm going to give it a six. Hmm. A six. Yes, I'm going to stick with a six. Because as much as I liked how it looked, and yes, I would watch it again, there was a lot about it that I was like, this needs to be more condensed. It also has to have a bit more story, weirdly enough. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so I'm a stick with a six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to go seven. Like the bits I liked, I really, really liked. I wish it was a half hour shorter. I wish <laughs> characters' motivations were more obvious. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like that. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. So apparently we are not too far off because um, IMBD gave it a 7.2 out of 10 right. so you're not too far off but was i think this might be the first time i rated a movie higher than you is it yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> i can't, I can't <laughs> think um i'm trying to see if there's any decent trivia probably not uh, i had a wee read earlier there wasn't a lot a lot of the props were just actual guillermo del toro owned things mm. um this is the second time that ron perlman has played a strong man in a circus the first one was in uh, City of Lost Children. Oh, yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> uh, I watched it. I don't know if I liked it. <laughs> I was just... You know, I, like, just my own little thing about Ron Perlman. Like, I just love that man. I think he's very, very nice. And he always kind of comes across as a very nice man. And I'm sure he learned Spanish for, like, one of Gilmiro's movies and didn't even really need to speak Spanish in it. But he was like, no, I shall do it for Gilmiro. <laughs> so he just seems like such a nice man because there's all his lines in city of lost children like he spoke in french and mm. he doesn't know french and he was just kind of like i shall wing this and i'm just like yeah so i think yeah. he's a very nice man yeah, i can't remember anything else uh there's a whole bunch of stuff about how they started filming this before covid had like a eight month break and had to come back yeah well something i'm not really sure if it's interesting and all but more to the point because i like neither of them um apparently jennifer lawrence and lady mm. gaga were considered for the role of molly i couldn't Wait, oh, Molly, that makes no sense. Like, I could maybe see Lady Gaga as Lilith, yeah, but not as Molly. No. Like, 100% not as Molly. But yeah, so... Yeah, I think... I th- um, 
I did actually just see something there that I thought was quite interesting. Something, like, not necessarily trivia, but I was actually kind of like, I've never seen Carol, but I know that they did stay really good friends after the movie, or from what I have seen or read. But, um, obviously, like, Rooney Mara and, like, Kate Blanchett, was, I think it was their first time working together again since they'd made Carol. Um, and I guess you couldn't have fit it into the movie, but they didn't really have a lot of screen time together, so that was a bit weird, but... But, but yeah, so that would be my last kind of thought on that. <laughs> okay, so next film was, I'm going to say it right, because I don't think I've called it right, <laughs> the right thing all, all the night. Um, the Night of the Hunter, 1955. Um, so this is kind of considered one of the best film noir movies is of it? all time. Yeah, apparently. Apparently it's seen as one of the better film noir movies. But to be fair... <laughs> I didn't really understand why I wanted to see Nightmare Alley because I'm not a film noir fan. <laughs> I just remembered seeing the trailer and thinking, ooh, this looks really good. So that's why I wanted to see it. So kind of sitting down and watching The Night of the Hunter to go with this movie was a reminder of, this is why I don't like film noir movies. <laughs> so do I have a summary? <laughs> uh, all right. So there is a creepy preacher with love and hate tattooed on his fingers. Mm-hmm. And then like, we kind of introduced to him because he's like stolen a car. Uh, and then we cut to a wee boy and his sister playing and their dad shows up and he's stolen like 10 grand. And then the preacher and the dad are sent to the same prison where the dad kind of lets it spill that there's 10 grand somewhere. So the preacher shows up looking for the 10 grand and then just kind of um marries and then murders the mum and then chases the kids all over the country <laughs> trying to get the ten grand but the kids end up being looked after by a kindly old lady who takes in orphans and then the preacher harasses the old lady and the orphans and then and then the preacher gets arrested again and then hanged uh, well we don't see that but hopefully <laughs> yeah but there's a lynch mob there's a lynch mob yeah and I guess they live happily ever after. And, the, <laughs> and she does a she literally does a Deadpool moment at the very end of the oh, movie, yeah. which is yeah. really like oh, right. I wasn't expecting that. That's a synopsis, right? I mean, yeah, that pretty much covers an yeah. hour and a half movie that I was like, again, this didn't need to be as long as it was. <laughs> um, but weirdly enough, I say that it was like oh, it reminded me why I didn't like film noirs. I just felt like it took quite a, like a lot of people say it's it gets a lot of thing for its suspense and i get it like he is creepy as all hell like the preacher and especially like his scenes where he's like singing outside the house and you're just like get the fuck away like like there's some of the shots and stuff were really really cool and but it just kind of took a bit longer than it needed to to kind of get to the point like I actually was really kind of enjoying the dynamic that they had at the house um but again this is based off a book um, so obviously they probably couldn't have changed it, but like the whole kind of thing that they were having with a wife and like, and then it ended up like he basically ended up murdering her and um, then they went on the run. Like I was really kind of enjoying that whole part with that kind of dynamic of the family. And then when they got, when she got killed and then the kids were on the run and it was just like scene after scene of the boat. <laughs> and I was like, why are we still here? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really enjoy that. But like the thing that I couldn't get away from was that like I, when the name Shelley Winters came up, I was like, 
I recognise that name. I know that name. And then when I saw her, I was like, I can't say I really recognise her, but I definitely recognise the name. So I had to look her up on IMBD. And she was in Peach Dragon. So here we go with my Disney geekdom again. <laughs> she was like the nasty old woman that used to beat up Pete. Like, but who like, was she in this? Oh, she was the she was the the mum oh, of the okay. kids. Right. But so she was like a lot younger in this movie than she was in in Peach Dragon. But I was like, and I remembered like because I remember when I was a kid like watching Peach Dragon and they made this big thing about the fact and Shelley Winters and I was like. Who that? And like, I didn't know who she was. And then obviously I've done it the opposite way around. <laughs> this is probably one of her better movies or like the one she's most revered for. And I'm like, oh, Peace Dragon. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, yeah, I totally agree. It feels like it took ages to get going. Um, I like, okay, I'm going to go on uh, a rant that will really upset Charlotte if she ever listens to this. And she probably won't listen to this. I feel like old movies are really overrated. <laughs> I feel like a lot of them aren't very good. <laughs> And it, it makes sense. They were just figuring out film. Uh, the first 20 years, of, 30 years of film, they couldn't even talk. <laughs> and then when they could talk, you couldn't move the camera anymore. Um, it took a while to figure out how to make a film. Um, so I think quite often they're overrated. They, the acting isn't very good because we haven't learned how to act yet. So you get those weird transitional films where like half the actors can act and half are still doing like the old time <laughs> acting. Those are fun. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So they tend to be plodding and slow. But sometimes there's like, there's good parts of them. Mm. But it feels like you're grading on a curve, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> they don't actually hold up against modern films. <laughs> Um, well, we have to say they're good because that's where film came from. Um, <laughs> I think I agree with you to an extent, but there are some older movies that like some are very good, and it's not even like some. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm probably gonna like if anybody's ever even heard of these movies, they're gonna be like, oh my god! But like, um, I think old comedies work to an extent, and I'm not talking about like the Laurel and Hardy movies or like the 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 Marx Brothers, I didn't really watch any of them. But, like, I loved um, I Married a Witch growing up. And the only reason I watched that movie is because it's actually what the basis of um, Bewitched was. Um, So I love that movie. And I love the original Blythe Spirit, like, the No no Coward play that they turned into a movie. That's just so funny. But, like, I think they work because those kind of comedies back then were really over the top. So the fact that the acting was really over the top because, as you say, they were still kind of learning how to act on film, it it worked for me. Like, I, I think the comedies always work better. And, like, I love all the old St. Trinian movies. They're shit, but they're so funny. <laughs> like, and it's like, they work really well. And, like, with Flash Harry, like, stumbling out the bush with that weird soundtrack. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. Like, I yeah. think... There, there's ones I've generally like, 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 Bringing Up Baby. I generally really like that movie. Um, yeah. Most of the Catherine Hepburn ones tend to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is, like, a weird... And I've definitely... There's, this is a new take. I've definitely heard this from, like reviewers that Charlotte likes on YouTube where there's like a huge dip in films when the code comes into play. Mm-hmm. So like like Ferris films and stuff tend to be more like a modern film and then the code comes in because of like um when culture got very like 
repressed and McCarthyism and stuff and then suddenly there's like a dip in themes where yeah. suddenly everything is very like oh we have to make sure that we don't get cancelled <laughs> essentially <laughs> yeah. yeah um like the Finn Man stuff has a lot of like really good racy jokes and stuff and then mm. that all disappears for a long time <laughs> and then eventually comes back in the 60s but um yeah like there's more that goes into these things than art you know there's mm-hmm. politics that come into play exactly and i mean i think if you want to talk about it in an artistic sense i think my thing with old movies especially if they're old like dramas or like film noirs and things like that they try and make them like really dramatic but because there is that thing of like they're they're just really old and and, and you know what the thing is is that back in the day night of the hunter it was considered like a really dramatic movie and it is like a really creepy theme and like the whole story of it is kind of genuinely terrifying when you think about it but because it's an old movie and the what we've grown up with and what generations will grow up with kids today and even like some adults today who are our age are going to look at this movie and go why did people like this? Like, like they're not gonna they're not gonna understand why it was been seen as dramatic back in the day. Um, but there were some great shots in the movie. Oh, so, like, we were talking about Guillermo del Toro's movies looking beautiful. There were some scenes in The Night of the Hunter that I was like, "Oh, I like that." Like the scene where it was like they were in the basement and you could see like the whole outshot of the house. Like, I just like, thought that looked really cool. And like, there were some really good scenes. Like, or there were some really good shots in the movie and the way it looked was really impressive for a movie of its time. But I still just... I, some of the acting, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> like the the mum, I couldn't tell if she was poorly acted or if she was just supposed to be dim. Oh no, she was supposed to be dim. Okay. Well, because I the whole think... thing I was like, I can't tell if she's... Like, I don't know who it was. I was just like... She's just a bad actress. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that Shelley Winters was like the most amazing actress of her time, but like you could kind of tell that, like, like, I mean, let's put it this way. So the movie starts with her husband being banged up and she literally kind of appears as he's being carried away with a look on her face. But also like the whole scene where he, like, I don't know who they were supposed to be preaching to. Like, they were in a little tent somewhere and he had her saying that, like, she was basically the reason that he had um, stole from the bank and killed these people and, and like, because she wanted paint and, like, and dresses and stuff. And I was like, what? And, like, because it didn't make any sense because he knew because the guy had told him, like, in the prison, like, the dad told him the reason I stole is because I was sick of seeing kids, like hungry in the streets and I didn't want that to be my children and I was more inclined to believe him obviously than what the preacher would have said so I think she was just gullible because even the whole thing about like when she did finally figure out that he was asking about the money and basically playing her she still was like he fucking had a knife over her and she was going ah but I know this will bring us together and this is why we've been brought together stop like (laughs) I was like so i think she was just supposed to be just like really dumb (laughs) there's one of the the weird things about this film for me is that it it felt like like so it's 55 right it felt like a 40s film to me it really did that's i actually thought it was the 40s yeah like it felt like a 40s film and then like the bit you're talking about so the basement stuff and then the bits where the bit where he kills her 
and the bit like on their honeymoon mm-hmm. all like those three things specifically to me felt more like a 20s or a 30s film mm-hmm. specifically like a like a 20s or a 30s like german film mm-hmm. like that kind of like 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 you said like you can see like the outline of the house and yeah. it's like almost like it's got like a frame within a frame uh-huh and then, like, the way he's, like, gripping the knife really and, like, shaking weirdly. Like, it all felt like a silent film mm-hmm. at that point, which was really strange to me. I think, I think, I don't know if that was, like, supposed to be maybe where the director was wanting to go with it, though. Yeah. Because a lot of it's quite, I, I think, kind of comparing it to something like The Cabinet of Dr. Calamat, Cal, Cal, Caligari. Caligari. Like, I think that's maybe too much of a push, but I think there was also it's that. very similar. Yeah, like there, but there was all that kind of thing of like it felt very expressionism because the scene, specifically the scene as well, whenever he would like not when he had this knife in his hand because there was a couple of scenes where like he'd done it with his jacket and it was like it would go through the bottom of the jacket, but like all the scenes where he would take the knife out and like he was about to kill someone or he was about to do something like that he would lift it above his head like in a really like exaggerated way and he would kind of like shake and still and it was so it was very it was very kind of silent film thing there and the movie didn't it was one of the few movies of the time i mean there was music in it but I find with, like, all these kind of film noirs and, like, all the kind of older movies, they really rely on the soundtrack to kind of, like, move the movie along. And there was a lot of singing in the movie, but there was a whole lot of scenes that probably would have been more dramatic if they'd put in the ridiculous music, and there wasn't. Like, so I think it was kind of like a weird take on a silent movie, but not a silent movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it almost feels like it's like an an excellent example of a 40s film made in the (laughs) (laughs) mid-50s. They were like back to something because that yeah. worked better <laughs> yeah well, like the whole like the stuff with him singing is generally creepy like the bit where it's just like him sitting on the horse like and just singing through the night that, that was creepy i was like <laughs> yeah okay that was scary and then him just sitting outside the house um especially when you think about like at the time like you couldn't like it, you, it was much harder to just like phone the police yeah <laughs> like, like she does phone the police and it takes them like four hours to get yeah. to <laughs> like, i think you know though i will say because i was kind of saying that just before we started recording i was saying to charlotte the movie took to like i was more interested i only really got interested in the movie after the kids met the old woman yeah. um because i can't even remember her name but she was like because she was just like, a, she was obviously just like a genuinely nice person and she was like a given woman and like she just wanted to look after them. Um, and I, But I genuinely didn't really get interested until we're kind of introduced to her. Um, and I th- I'm not going to be able to find her name now because I'm doing that thing where it's like, I'm looking at IMBD and I'm looking at all these faces and going, nope, I don't know anybody. Yeah. I think her name was Rachel because she was Mrs. Cooper. So she was Rachel. Um, and she was like, quite liked how badass she was for a movie that was made in the 50s like the whole moment where she was like sitting on the porch with a gun and he was singing and obviously trying to intimidate her because she knew that he was outside the house and he she started singing back like yes bitch i know you're there i was like i don't know i just thought she was really cool and i felt she was brought too much too late into the movie and yeah like the kid the kid actors obviously like we we john and pearl like the wee girl that played pearl like i didn't quite 
<laughs> I mean, she's a child actress, so that's fine. But I kind of felt she was quite weirdly vacant and creepy as well. <laughs> I was yeah. like, like, John was a bit better, but like, yeah, I thought she was quite creepy. Yeah, no, 100% she was like creepy and weird. But um, I feel like child acting has come a long way in like the last five years. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole different thing. Um, yeah, no, 100% the the lady you were just talking about was like the standout of the film. And mm-hmm. the one bit of the film that felt interesting and not quite as cliche as everything else and not yeah she almost felt like she was in a different film (laughs) like a different era of film everything is so 30s 40s and then she feels 50s 60s yeah like i think she also kind of like because by the point we get to where we've met her and like she kind of brings a bit of the last bit of the life into the movie like i think because the whole thing about him as well, like, the preacher, kind of obvious, like, come on, man, like, move on. <laughs> I mean, the whole, like, the, I understand that it was ten grand, but he's a grifter. He's the kind of person that it's like, he's going to find his opportunities where he can find them. And he proceeded to follow these kids around whatever part of the country it's supposed to be set. And, like, I mean, you even saw it when, like, they were on the run and they had that little bit where it was, like, he was peach. Um, like, they, they had the sign and it was, like, peach pickers for a week um, for hire or whatever. And then he's sitting around the fire with all the, like, the the guys and he's, like, and he's doing one of his sermons and stuff. He's the kind of person that he'll fall on his feet and then he j- but he just can't let it go. And it's that kind of thing of, like, when they found when he when he kind of came across them and not in the barn, but when like John realized and he was like, "Fuck, we need to go." Like that was just just I kind of was like, "Really? <laughs> You're still following them? Like, how do you even know this is where they went?" I was like, it just felt a bit daft. Um, but he he was genuinely quite unsettling, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, he did pretty good performance to be fair. Yeah, as just being creepy and weird. But like in a way where I was like, I don't want to watch you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was just. Don't, yeah. don't like it and it's it's got that old movie thing where like you can see the walls of the set oh yeah even though they're supposed to be outside oh that was brilliant the bit you, with the sheep yeah, <laughs> you, you can see the line in the wall yeah like <laughs> it's like really yeah. it was it was a bit i was quite confused because it was quite funny when i was watching it my mum walked in and like she was doing something behind me and the bit where they were on the river and it was supposed to be like a dog barking and it kept like cutting back to a fox at a tree and my mum was like, oh, that's not a dog. And then it was like, and then it went away and then it came back and it was, that's definitely not a dog. And I was like, yes, we know this. And I was like, but could they not find a dog? And I was like, understand. <laughs> I mean, of all the animals to use, like you had to use a fox instead of a dog. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I kept sort of coming back to with this was like, like this is contemporary contemporary with Hitchcock but like Hitchcock feels much much better than this <laughs> like in terms of more I know you're not a Hitchcock fan but like like Psycho is far better and more modern feeling exactly. than this movie and I it mean, came out like I've never not seen, far apart like. I've never seen Psycho because I'm not going to bore you why but I hate Hitchcock I mean um, yeah he was a massive piece of he shit he was a massive yeah. piece of shit and I just <laughs> really don't want to like in, I don't want uh, I to mean, endorse not, his movies. I mean, he, he's not earning money from it anymore. <laughs> no, I don't 
hair. <laughs> He's like, the only thing that would maybe make it vaguely like acceptable is that if any of the actresses that he worked with at the time, like, because I think like Tippa Hendren, I think that's how you say her name. So she's still alive. Um, and I think if she got any money for them, I'd maybe watch the birds. But I don't think she did. I think he like screwed her out of her contract so much that she just made nothing from these movies unless she's talking about them on something else. So I don't see why I should fucking watch these movies. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, but, 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 wait, well, this is a totally different thing. <laughs> but like, we write off these movies because of one person. But like in Psycho, and I don't know his name, but the main actor, yes, his performance is genuinely phenomenal. Well, and yeah, so you're writing off this whole movie, I even know, though there's one, this, uh, this guy who is innocent of Hitchcock's bullshit did an amazing performance. I know, and it's kind of like Henry had like the whole thing about Harvey Weinstein and like you know mm. like Judy Dench stepping forward and being like you know you can't like just because he made these movies it's yeah. not fair for the and, and I know yeah, like I get movies it. are collaborative it's not I know yeah. <laughs> I'm just but it's kind of like the whole thing of like I'm, I'm loving how we've went on this tangent <laughs> it's kind of like the whole thing of like the death on the Nile situation oh, yeah. like where so, half the cast has been cancelled <laughs> well at least two of them have been I don't know about the rest of them uh, there's but, one like, other person who's like Annie Bax which is always a thing is that, that that's Leo right is it um I st- she, so I don't particularly like her but um, but obviously like, the whole thing with Arnie Hammer like and God love Kenneth Branagh he's like I made a movie and I just want to release it <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think he's very much just like it's not my fault and I, I get it I understand and like I, I want to kind of like it or I wanted to go and see it because like I'd seen Murder on the Orient Express and I did enjoy it and like it has a good cast again but at the same time it's that kind of thing of like Arnie Hammer will still probably make money off this movie and that doesn't sit with me. And it's the same whole thing with like J.K. Rowling. I think like half the fucking cast on Fantastic Beasts is not having a good time. But like, and I was, and I'm still in two minds of like, I've seen the first two and I enjoyed them. So do I really want to see the third one or do I really want to endorse this? Like, it's just, so it's that whole kind of thing. But like, to completely go back to what we were talking about. What I was going to say is that, like, I'm not too sure when Rope came out, but Rope is the only Hitchcock movie that I've ever seen. And that is... It was a really good movie. Like, and this... I watched it before I kind of knew a lot about, like, Hitchcock as a person. But I I'd never... I don't know. I think I always had it in my head that, like, I think I tried to watch... Is it North by Northwest? Yeah, that is the name of the film. I think I think I tried to watch that and didn't like it. And I think I had it in my head that I was like, oh, if this is the, the kind of movies that Hitchcock does, then I don't want to watch any of his movies. So this was before like I knew anything about them. Um, and then I watched, we were forced to watch Rope when we were in high school in media. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I liked how it was shot because obviously the whole kind of thing of it is that it's supposed to be one shot. And I thought it was a really well thought out movie. And for it being in that kind of era, it's weird that that felt... Because you could make a movie like Rope now and it would feel probably the same as Rope, but Rope felt ahead of its time. But something like that now would just feel like a modern movie. Whereas if you were to... If you re, if you wanted to remake Night of the Hunter, it would be another Nightmare Alley situation. They would have to, like, lavish it with, like, 
great set design and they would have to have an amazing cast and they would probably have to up the violence i mean something that we didn't really talk about in nightmare alley was that like there was some moments in that movie that were just so unnecessarily gruesome like the bit where bradley cooper like smashed that guy's face in so i was gonna say he really has a thing for people's noses getting caved in (laughs) yeah and like the whole in the bit where like i'm sure i'm sure when he's cleaning his hands later on after that bit I'm sure he pulls a tooth out of his finger. Yeah, there's something. Yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> so, like, I think with something like The Night of the Hunter, if you were to remake that now, you would need to show every gruesome detail. Like, the bit with the murdering of the wife, you didn't need to see it to know what was going on. And it was made more, ugh, because you knew what he was going to do to her. But they would have that splashed all across the screen now. And, like, actually, because that is one, weirdly, one of the most beautiful shots in the movie, which felt very much like it didn't belong in the movie, was the scene where it was like panning across the bottom of the river and you saw the car and you could see all the reefs and you could see her hair and everything. That whole scene was like so beautifully shot, but it didn't feel like it belonged in the movie. And I feel like the director was was probably one of your first kind of directors of that era that was like, but we can make them look nice as well. And they were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think they tried to push too much into it, but he's like managed to sneak in these really cool shots. (laughs) But yeah, it's just like it's almost like I'd almost like it more if it had came out in the forties than it having come out in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> like it feels like a great forties film, mm. but it came out in the fifties, where like there was better things happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess because it was based off a book as well, like it's probably set at a certain time period. So that's maybe why it felt so It was definitely set in like the thirties, I think. Yeah. So that's probably why, but like yeah, I just think um, because you know the thing that I didn't actually understand the two the couple that were kind of like that were obvious like they owned the shop that the mum worked at the scoop spoon or something family yeah the so two spoon they called each other yeah. mum and pa and yeah. I was like oh like, but I really didn't get like I liked their characters and I felt really sorry for the husband like because she was just so overbearing and there was loads of moments where she was like ah oh, he's a twat and he was like right there and she was like and he was like hmm like, and I did like their kind of dynamic but I really didn't get I mean I take it by the end of the movie she was supposed to have like turned into a drunk or something like I didn't get that no, I don't know I thought she was just like out for vengeance well she was yeah. out for vengeance but like there was a whole bit where they were in the church not the church there was a whole bit where they were in the court um, where, like, she was obviously rallying the troops to become a lynch mob and the husband was kind of helping her, but he always seemed like he was kind of under the thumb anyway, so of course he's going to help her. But I'm sure there was, like, a... Like, you never saw her drinking, but there was... I'm sure you kind of... I got the vibe that she was supposed to be kind of half-cut and that when she was, like, rallying around, like, the troops, it was, like... She was kind of slurring and she was like, I don't know. It just felt like a really weird way to take the film because like you kind of knew that the husband didn't trust the preacher, that he was like, "Mm, there's something a bit weird, but she was like so dead set. No, no, he's a good man. And then the whole thing at the end where she had just suddenly went, I don't know. I just didn't think it really worked. And then the whole thing with Ruby as well, like the girl that played Ruby, like, 
it was that kind of, I know they were trying to lay into the whole thing of like she was gullible because she was young and impressionable and stuff but I don't know if it was just the actress's job or if it was just the way they played the character but I really didn't like her like the bit at the end when when they were all sitting in the cafe and she was like wait where's Ruby and it was like and, but she was outside the the courthouse because she was like I love him I was like I wanted to slap her I was like get a grip <laughs> just, <laughs> just yeah I was really annoyed by her there was nice bits but yeah overall the movie didn't work for me I don't understand why it's so highly rated for the era I guess by this point there wasn't a lot of noir being made probably not no I think there's probably one of the last noirs yeah. so maybe that's why because, it's... but this is this is why I'm very confused because I, w- I have definitely read like different bits and bobs of people saying that it's one of the standout film noirs and that it's one that will last forever because it's like really well done so I just assumed that it was made in the 40s so reading it there and it's saying it was made in the 50s I was like what <laughs> so it's quite it, it's kind of weird that that like one of the better film noirs wasn't even really made in the film noir era <laughs> but yeah it just it didn't do much for me it was strange like mm-hmm. it had nice elements but yeah it just feels behind its time <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know i think I, I don't think weirdly enough i don't think i would watch this one again but no. i think there was more elements in it that i liked well I liked the main, like, the older woman. I just wanted, I was like, yeah, <laughs> she kicked ass. Um, and I think he was really good as the preacher. So I think there was more elements in this movie that I liked over Nightmare Alley. But I, would, but I wouldn't watch it again. Like, because I've watched it, and that's enough. <laughs> but Yeah, no, I massively prefer Nightmare Alley. Like, I, I feel like I will, over my lifetime, watch Nightmare Alley a few times. I'm never going to go back to this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing as well, though, with Nightmare Alley is that, like, I always kind of do the comparison thing when I'm talking about movies that I've watched, and I go, oh, well, I'd watch it again, but I kind of know what I'm like. Unless I, like, love it, then I will not watch it again. So, like, when Nightmare Alley comes out on, like, DVD or whatever, I won't rush to buy it, because it was a good movie, but, yeah, I probably, I would say, if it was on the telly, I'd watch it. And kind of the Night of the Hunter... If it was on the telly, I'd probably pause and go, oh yeah, that was that movie I watched. Click. <laughs> so that, that's the difference. I would pause on Nightmare Alley. Night of the Hunter, I wouldn't. <laughs> so, like... Yeah. Like, when, when I watched it with Charlotte, who is, like, a huge, huge, like, old movie fan. Like, anything pre-1960. And she liked it, so... Mm. Probably should have got her on this episode, but she has been asleep for at least an hour by now. Yeah. Oh, well, you can have my DVD, so you can keep it if you wish. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't really do it for me. There's, Like I said, there's bits of light about it. There's like the bit with him just creepily on the horse in the middle of the night singing. Yeah. That is, that is creepy. That's genuinely a scary thing. I wonder, is this the origin of the love-hate finger tattoos? Hmm. I wonder if that... It's like a trope before this. It's really? just, yeah. I've never seen an older example yeah, of it like, than this. Because I, I, you know, it, I had suggested this movie because it was after we had watched Rope in media and I had to, like, I admitted to the media teacher, I was like, 
yeah, I really enjoyed that movie and I was quite surprised because I've never thought I would like a Hitchcock movie. And he was like, oh, well, if you like film noirs, you should watch this. This is the best one I've ever seen. And he actually gave me his copy of Night of the Hunter and I ended up giving it back to him because I was like, look, I know what I'm like. I'm never going to get around to watching this. But the thing that really struck me on the cover was the fact that it was like the two tattoos on his fingers mm. and obviously when it was supposed to be set and I was like that's really weird because that's like a commonplace thing that you see now not like back in the f- well at the time I thought it was made in the 40s like so not something that was made back in the 40s so yeah it was just I think I don't know if that's where it did come from but it's weird maybe then they look like they're barreled on yeah they? yeah <laughs> they, d- they weren't very well done it was yeah. very much kind of like pre-sharpie days <laughs> let us just go do, 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 do. <laughs> so yeah um I th- yeah i don't think i would watch this again but i did enjoy it and i th- but then in saying that i think i enjoyed more elements of it from night of or from nightmare alley but i would still probably only give it a six mm. i'd still probably only say like I wouldn't I wouldn't rate it higher than Nightmare Alley. And I think it is really because I picked the wrong genre. I was like, I don't like film noir. <laughs> <laughs> what was my thinking? I think I, I think I just saw the trailer for Nightmare Alley and went, Ooh, that looks amazing. Because I was kinda hoping as well with Nightmare Alley that because it was like again a Del Toro movie, and I know he doesn't only do fantasy, I know he doesn't, but because that is the majority of what he does, I kind of did wonder if there was going to be like a supernatural element in it. And then I had kind of started reading more about it, and them saying, "Oh no, it's based off a film noir, and it's like based off a crime novel." And I was like, "Oh okay then," but I was still kind of holding it. Hold- <laughs> I was like, "It's you know, it's Del Toro. He'll yeah. fit something in there." <laughs> like, yeah. I almost want to do an episode where we come back to films because I feel like the longer time goes on, the more I'm going to like Nightmare Alley. I think I've got like Nightmare Alley might become like a big thing, a big film for me. <laughs> <laughs> but like already, like. Fear Street. Yes. Since watching Fear Street, I have watched it three times. <laughs> yeah. Well, I watched it for, for the podcast, then I watched it with Charlotte, and then Charlotte's pal from Denmark was over, and we, we watched them with her. Every time I watch Fear Street, the more I like it. <laughs> so, like, I always want to do like a revisit episode at some point. Well, we should. Well, we could probably do that, because like I... I haven't watched all of them again since but i did that kind of thing of because the third one is the best one um i had been baking one day and i started watching the first one again um and and then i was kind of watching it and i was like i don't like the end of the first one because they killed off the two best characters so i skipped (laughs) (laughs) and watched the third one and was like this is the best one (laughs) So, so I have watched, I have watched it, but I've not watched them all again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to revisit Nightmare Alley. I'm never going to watch Night of the Hunter ever again. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I would probably not watch either of them again, unless it was here. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to turn around, come up one night and it'll be on. And I'll be like, <laughs> oh, here's Nightmare Alley. Here's my night where I'll watch it again for the second time in the last three, four years. <laughs> like, mm. So, yeah, I think I'd definitely give Night... I think I'd probably just give Night of the Hunter a six as well. I think it's just I'm not a massive film noir fan, but if I had to watch a film noir... I'd probably watch either of these movies. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd give it like a five. There's like some good bits in it. There's a lot of bad. And like when I look at films that came out around it, I'm like, this is just worse than the films that came out around it and even before it. Like, like it feels unfair to say, but like 
Casablanca is genuinely a good film that is aged very well. Like I watched that thinking, oh, okay, this is just a film people like because it's old. And then I watched it, I was like, oh no, that was actually good. <laughs> I watched this and I was like, oh, no, this isn't good. <laughs> so, five for, and the five is mostly because of the German expressionist bits. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's really elevated it for me. I think the singing. So it got an eight. From IMDb, I don't but, get it. so some. Did you look at any of the trivia? No, I didn't. So I was highlighting at one of the trivia. So the first piece of trivia I found: the sequence with Powell riding the horse in the distance was actually a dwarf on a pony. It was filmed oh, in false perspective. But there's a scene. I, but I know what scene it is because there's definitely a couple. Yeah, I think of scenes. that's the one. One of the ones I'm saying is like really good. Yeah, like it's weird. It's when they're, in the, they're in the barn yeah. and he sees them off in the distance, and um, because. There is definitely bits where he's like, like on the horse, and I was just kind of. But when I read that, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just got one of the child actors." No. But um, just a wee thing about Robert uh, Mitchum, he was very eager for the part of the preacher when he auditioned. A moment that particularly impressed Charles Longton, who was the director. Um, was when he described the character as a diabolical shit. Mitchum promptly answered, present. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was quite funny. But, but yeah, I think there wasn't really that much. And my my trivia is that Shelley Winters went on to be in Peace Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like know this woman and then i and then when i remembered what i'd seen her in i got like three of the songs from peach dragon stuck in my head while i was watching the movie <laughs> which didn't really work with the rest of the movie yeah I, yeah i didn't end up looking at the trivia for this because i was like ah oh, it's just it's gonna feel like gibberish to me because it's gonna be like this old timey after and this old timey after you know <laughs> i'm sensing you're not an old timey fan <laughs> I mean, I like the ones that are genuinely good. This wasn't one of the ones that was genuinely good. Fair enough. But then in saying that, though, like, to go on another kind of weird tangent, um, I don't get why people like silent movies. No, that's fair. I mean, I I I genuinely like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but purely for visuals. Yeah, That's the only thing I like it for, because it's visually interesting. I think the thing that gets me about horror silent movies is the fact that with a horror movie, you generally tend to have kind of jarring music anyway. Mm. But with, like, not so much The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but, like, Nosferatu. Like, people bang on about that movie, and I hate it. Yeah. Because the music is so annoying. It's, like, it's just, it's so annoying. Like, there's no other way of putting it. It's just, like, nails on a chalkboard. And when, obviously, you're having to, like put sound to something that has no speaking you have to make it sound interesting and i just like i hated like it was just it's so crap like i just really don't enjoy that movie and it also doesn't help that um they were just kind of like this isn't dracula what are you talking about and they just stole dracula (laughs) it's just like bram stoker's widow going hang on (laughs) like wait a minute like yeah yeah, so i'm not like a massive fan but like people go on about that movie and i just i don't get it like and they do it with a lot of silent films yeah i don't mean i would never just sit down and watch a silent film for fun i just it would be like a as an interest thing like 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 i like cabinet dr caligari but like in a way that's like oh this is really visually interesting especially for the time it came out it's Mm -hmm. just like 
is this kind of cool the things that they were doing and it like it feels like a tim burton film that came out in like the 20s yeah yeah and then tim burton watched it and was like haha i have found my style (laughs) but but yeah i think with older movies and stuff like that it just depends like i like i like some old movies and but i think the oldest i'll generally tend to go is like the 50s generally like i think when it comes to like a lot of movies from the 30s and things like that there's only so many i could watch i think um i might be wrong but i think like i marry a witch is like the oldest movie that i will watch Mm. like because i'm sure that was made 42 that was made so that is like the oldest i will go because it's when that movie came out <laughs> like so yeah we should do a hallmark day but it's uh charlotte trying to convince us some 30s and 40s films oh that would actually be quite interesting <laughs> well we need to figure out what we're doing for the next episode as well i've been actually trying to figure out like i've been looking at new stuff and like new things that have been like teased yeah, because this is a funny time of year for films uh, yeah and i think the only thing that i'm vaguely interested in is and it's not coming out anytime soon i don't think the next season of it comes out until may is that they've obviously been bigging up stranger things season four and they've they've just announced that it's going to be in two parts so yeah so apart i think because obviously they planned to bring it out last christmas but obviously covid had hit well before they'd even started filming it properly and all this jazz i think i like the duffer brothers released a letter and they put on like the stranger things um, Instagram or something I can't remember and I was reading it and it was basically them saying that because of COVID and because of everything that was going on and the story they wanted to tell they extended a lot of the filming and I know that they've changed the setting because apparently you know how they always bring it out at a certain time of year and it reflects what time of year it is in the yeah the sh- of the year or the show sorry um, it was supposed to be coming out for Christmas 2021 um, so it was supposed to be set at Christmas time again. But I think like when you watch the trailers and stuff like that, it doesn't feel like Christmas. It feels like kind of summery time. And I think the plan is that it's going to be... They've changed the setting, essentially. It's now going to be set like just before the summer because it's coming out in May. But because they filmed so much of it, they've actually split season four into two parts. So they're going to release like eight episodes in May... <laughs> and then they're going to release like the next eight episodes in like July and I'm just I'm just kind of a bit like why don't you just obviously it's not because it's weird because it's not even like you can say oh they're not releasing it all at the same time because of money but you're sitting watching it on a streaming platform yeah. you're not going to get any more money for sitting watching it so yeah. I really don't get why they do that <laughs> no I don't I don't know either. So we'll hit you back with something. As usual, if you want to follow the page, it's on Facebook um, and Instagram. If you search IMDB or I am Danny B, um, leave Kevin alone, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte, our editor, is Miss Goozy on Instagram. Uh, also, just thinking out loud, I think I will, I'm going to try and move to a different platform and things as well. So keep an eye out for that. I think I might try and start an actual blog. But if if 
on it as usual if anybody likes any of the episodes if they have any ideas of what they'd like us to talk about or maybe you don't agree maybe you think Nightmare Alley is amazing and you want to hunt us down because we didn't like Night of the Hunter well <laughs> Kevin didn't like Night of the Hunter <laughs> um, then yeah just let me know hit me up um, but yeah so thanks again for listening as usual and thank you for your patience I'm so sorry it takes so long for us to get episodes out <laughs> good night bye <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm the leader. I'll say when it's the end. It's the end. I think there's something in the background. You're like, oh yeah, that was my pen. I was like, oh. <laughs> I just like that you thought it was uh, Charlotte knitting while she was editing it. <laughs> well, not even while she was editing I don't know what I thought was going on. I was like, what? It sounded like knit needles. Mm. <laughs>